Well, let's go ahead and get started. I'll pray us to open up, and uh, like I said before, we're going to have prayer requests at the end. And if it's okay with you all, I'd like to do something a little even more different tonight that we not take prayer requests. We'll just open the room up in the last 10 minutes. And if you have a prayer request, you just pray it. That way, whatever's on your heart, if somebody's sick, somebody's lost, we'll open it up. And uh, then then at the end, I'll close this. So is that, is that good with everybody? We sure? We sure? You're the boss. Okay. Who do we lose, Joy? She'll be back. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that uh, you got me here safely tonight as I traveled up here. And I just pray that through this lesson, we are sharpened and that our blood pressure is not raised. There's a couple verses in here that might be a little controversial to some of us or maybe all of us. Um, I just pray that we're able to have wisdom as we learn tonight and discernment to understand what everything means and just allow us to grow together tonight and to um, grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I first want to review a little bit what we learned last week. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul was warning Timothy about the dangers of false teachers. And uh, my favorite verse, I don't know that it's the key verse to the chapter, but my favorite verse in the chapter was 5. And it says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul also outlines in chapter 1 that Jesus came to save sinners. In verse 15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that I, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the... I'm sorry, I read that wrong. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So the summary of the chapter of chapter one was that Jesus came to earth to save sinners, and Timothy was to teach the church at Ephesus sound doctrine while warding off false teachings. So chapter two. I will read chapter two, and I'm in the ESV. So chapter two, first Timothy chapter two. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 
Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So can anybody guess any of the controversial uh, verses? Huh? <laughs> Just about all of it? <laughs> well. Notice men had said anything. Yeah, I've got to keep my mouth shut there. Um, let's see here. So I said there are several verses in the chapter that would be considered controversial in some circles, or maybe all circles. Hopefully not, though. Verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul is simply encouraging Timothy to pray for all people here. And he goes on to, to talk about kings and, and rulers. So in verse 2, he says, Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So Paul expands his meaning to Timothy by saying, Pray for kings and everyone in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And I read in this commentary from... Uh, J. Vernon McGee, which Ms. Mary gave me, he, in, in, in his note on verse 2, he says uh, that prayer for government at that time would be, it, it, and it really would be the same today, that Paul's telling Timothy to pray for government officials so that the gospel can continue to go forth. And McGee says here also something that I found interesting. And I'll just read it to you. It's short. It says, A second reason we should pray for government is in order that the gospel might continue to go out to the lost. I believe that we are actually going to see per the persecution of Christians in this country in the future. I do not mean the persecution of church members. The liberal church is so compromised today that they will go along with whatever comes along. I am saying that genuine believers in Christ may encounter persecution. Paul was beginning to experience persecution himself, and he said that believers were to pray for the leaders who were responsible for it. So, I also agree with McGee, and I think this was written in the 80s. Uh, is that right? 70s. Yeah. And it's, it's sure, I mean, I didn't live in the 70s or 80s. But as I look out here, I'm guessing that some of you all did. Do you all feel that that persecution has or is getting worse? For yes. Yes. I would guess so. I would guess that it's going to continue to get worse before it gets better. Okay. So, living peaceful, quiet, and godly, peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lifestyles is an accurate reflection of the gospel. The opposite of this lifestyle would be hateful, abrasive, ungodly, and chaotic. What are some ways we are seeking to live peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lifestyles? That is a question. Well, one for me, my example would be that um, instead of, you know, I've come here instead of chasing worldliness or the American dream or I didn't know exactly how this was all going to pan out but I, I'm not trying to gloat I'm just this is my own personal example uh, I didn't know how all this was going to pan out but I I knew that this decision was far more God honoring than 
anything else. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I didn't write that down, but I had that same thought last last night when I was putting this together. I thought everybody that's here tonight is attempting to live currently on this Wednesday night at seven whatever time, oh five. I think that clock's a little behind. Um, everybody that's here in this moment is attempting to live a peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lifestyle. And now we've got uh, Dale out there bailing hay, just chasing the money. <laughs> He's the chairman of the <laughs> He's shaking up from the last bit of hay cutting. He's nervous. Yeah, pretty good day He's nervous. He doesn't want to do it again. But you know the Bible says when the ox is in the ditch. Yeah. Yeah. So any other examples of that? How we're living I mean, how how are you all pursuing godliness outside of of the things that we see, I mean, sun, we're here on Sundays and we're here on Wednesdays, but, or give an example of somebody else that you know that's doing well with it. Does anybody have any examples of that? Mm-hmm. Um, medical staff, they're, I mean, you know, most of them are working all days for life or glory of God, you know. I know some of them probably are thinking, oh, you know, second thought on that, but they do every day face those crazy circumstances that they have to face. Mm -hmm. I would hope most of them, I know there are those who aren't God-driven, but most of it is, you know, God is with them while they're in their jobs. Mm -hmm. And in almost every job, you know, there's opportunity if we take it. Other times we forget to take it, but there's opportunity for you to say, hey, you know this about Jesus today, you know. So that is opportunity that a lot of times we do miss, but it is there. One profound thing that um, the guy I always talk about, Mac, who is my Paul, remember, he he said he has said to me many times, if it's in context of this one situation in my life, but he says, if if all you if all your life, let me think of how he words this. So there's this that that boy that's in my life from Springfield. If he's that young boy that sends his age. He said, if all you accomplish in your life is to point that one boy to Jesus, and that's that's that would be a great success for the kingdom of God. And and thoughts like that, you know, we think, oh, we've got to do all this stuff. We've got to we've got to have the most profound VBS. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. But really, we need to just be focus on one person at a time. To point to the glory of God, and not, and not for our own glorification either. Just he he always says, Mac always says, I want to live for the gospel, and I want to die knowing Jesus, and be and be forgotten, you know. And and what he means by that is, 
I'm not trying to live this wild and extravagant life where everybody's going to know who I am. I just want to be on earth and serve God while I'm here and then be with Him when I die, you know. And that's that seems to be a pretty good definition of how to live a peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lifestyle. But you're talking about the one boy, you know, North Carolina, one of their churches had a revival for two weeks, and there was only one young boy walked down the aisle, and that turned out to be Billy Graham. Yeah. So, you know, would you say two week revival was a waste when you only had one person walk down the aisle? Not in that case. <laughs> but, you know, what I'm getting at, you never know. Right, right. Okay, on to verses 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What did I write for this? So there's only one God and He seeks all people. It is pleasing to God for us to live peaceful and godly lives. This godliness will come to us through prayer, time in the Word, and fellowship with other believers. So, as we are attempting to live this way, are we desiring to see all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? And I will be the first to say that I am guilty. I don't. I often miss opportunities because of selfishness, and I did it today also. So, I need to repent that sometimes I get wrapped up in, in my own business, and I don't. You know, if God want, if, if, if God seeks all people, then I should be sharing God with all people, you know. And it's easy for us to sit here in our human bodies and say, well, that's just sort of unrealistic. But is it? I mean, we... Mm -hmm. Any more thoughts on that? It's virtually impossible for us to be all things at one time. You know, we seek the opportunity that, you know, and God still present this opportunity different at different times. Mm -hmm. And uh, not all of them look one time like that, you know. Uh, you know, I guess as a minister, uh, our expectations of we have a revival like we used to do. Uh, you know how many are going to come forward at that particular time? Um, and, and just like it's talked about, I talked about Billy Graham. You know, if if it's just that one, then I think that's the important thing. Uh, you know, and other opportunities come at other times. Well, and like BBS, we had between 40 and 50 volunteers every night, you know, and I know it was a, it was a hardship for some of them to be here every night, you know. But so far, we've had three decisions for Christ. Mm -hmm. It's all over. Even if there was only one. It was That's right, absolutely. Even if there wasn't any, they took it home to the volunteers. That's right, so, so it's easy. 
I, I think what I'm what I'm trying to say though is like in my personal evangelism, like people that I end up talking to on the phone, like it's it's like I said last week, it's easy for me to to share Jesus to you all because you all want to hear it, you know. But the guy that I'm talking to on the phone about uh, who was on the phone with today, I called some guy. To, I'm closing on my house next week, and this guy was just kind of grumpy sounding and abrasive, and I thought, you know what, I should share something with this guy. Of course, I didn't because I, I just want to get off the phone. I want to be full of it. So those are the areas where, like, you all might see me and think, "Oh, he's a great, he's doing great." But I'm still, I'm beating myself up pretty heavily uh, because I feel like I fail in personal evangelism pretty heavily. So pray for me in that. Verse number five. Now, this is where it can get sketchy. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound sketchy, but uh, does anybody want to read their notes on verse 5? Joy, would you like I see you digging. What are your notes It say? just says, These verses provide the theological basis for the preceding statement that God wants people to be saved. That's what that mindset for that. Well, I had this thought. Um, there's one mediator between God and man and uh, the man Christ Jesus uh, Charles are you back there still yeah. I, I was raised Catholic so that that this verse hits me maybe harder than some of you all because of the way I was raised um, and my notes my notes say say something about that also let me see. The notes in my Bible, I mean. Let me read the notes that I made. I'll go on and read that. But uh, I have it written here. My notes say in my Bible say, This verse allows no place for mediators between people and Jesus, such as saints or priests. And this is in my ESV Bible. So it's not me saying it. It's the Bible saying it. The Bible notes saying it. The Bible says that saints are anyone who is set apart or made holy. This means a saved person. Whereas in Catholicism, a person would go to a priest to confess their sins. Um, and it is true that we are to confess sin to one another, but Jesus is who we need to be speaking with as our mediator. No one else. We don't need to, we don't need to pray to a saint. We are saints. If we are saved, we are saints. Everybody agree with that one so um, Jesus is the one that we need to confide in but we also need to confess sin to one another and I don't know if any of y'all have ever really done that like genuinely confess sin to someone but when you do that something serious happens I've done it like embarrassing sin that you don't want people to know about confess that and it's it's like a clean it's like a true cleansing um and i think that's what god really desires for us as far as confession and and this this note this verse it probably has more to do with salvation itself for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and man the man Christ Jesus and that just 
that just sparked John 14, 6 in my mind. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes can come to the Father except through me. So um, I don't want to create controversy amongst uh, the Catholicism Protestant debate here, but uh, we don't need a priest to answer our questions. Uh, we go straight to the Lord. But if you confess your sins to somebody here, you want to make sure that uh, that person can keep a secret. That's if you're not. Yeah. You might have well get out of the street corner. I've made that mistake too. That's where wisdom comes into play. I think part of part of that is, you know, when you open up to people about your sin, you don't want to do that again. You know, I think that's the part of it. That's kind of like when I went to Burlington Baptist. I gave my testimony, and I feel like that's almost kind of like confessing your sins in front of people with mm-hmm. your testimony. You don't need to confess your sin. Like I don't need to sit up here and tell everybody all of my my sin. Everybody knows that we're all sinful. But you need to find people within the church that I don't need to go confessing my sin to Benita either. I need to find a man to connect with and confess my sin to. Most likely, if he's seeking the Lord, he's going to have a repentant heart, hopefully, and. He's not going to go spreading all of my stuff. So, so when we do, we don't want to. When we share our testimony, how we come to Christ, we don't want to glorify our sin and say, "I was down in the gutter for twelve years, shooting heroin in my arm." Just say, "I had a drug problem." Okay, I didn't. Me personally, I'm just saying we don't need to go on and on and on and on about how we did. You know, I did this, I did that. Let's. We're all sinful, so we don't need to well on it too much we just need to say I was very sinful before and I'm still sinful but now I know who Jesus is and he is the mediator between me and God and I am grateful that he saved me when he did and I wish he was here to hear that your best testimony is how you live day to day mm-hmm. and we should confess sin on a daily basis that's why we need somebody in our life we need to have a a deep connection with somebody um and it doesn't always have to be me i mean we should be connecting with each other any other thoughts on verse five does it did it raise anybody's blood pressure when i mentioned the c word catholicism i hope not i know that there's catholic folks around so okay verse six who gave? Uh, I don't want to read from my notes. I might have messed up. Verse six. Where are we at? Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time? Jesus died to give all an opportunity to come to saving faith in Him. This happened on His perfect timing, and we need to be taking the opportunity to share our faith with all. And somebody last week 
said that um, I'm trying to think if I want to say this or not. As we as we go on, as we go along our day to be a witness, we don't want to be a silent witness. We don't want to be passive. We don't want to bludgeon people to death with our faith, but be tend to to be more outspoken. We need to be more outspoken than not, but lovingly. We don't want to be uh, passive. Just and I think that's where confession of sin really hits home. If, if people that are lost understand that we are sinful too, if we, you know, look, I am, I'm a hot mess. I am speaking for myself now. I am a hot mess. But the Lord has done great things in my life. So we want to be outspoken witness. Jesus died to give all an opportunity. We should be willing to share with all, all people that we encounter lovingly of course verse 7 for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle I am telling the truth I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth so Paul is simply saying here the reason that he is doing what he is doing is for the faith and that his faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone he has set out to teach and preach the word of God to the Gentiles and everyone else that he encounters. Remember Sunday I posed the question, if you could do anything you could do for the glory of God, what would it be? Paul seemed to do everything he possibly could for the glory of God, and he's charging Timothy to do the same. So what are we doing for the kingdom? And it, I like the question, if you could do anything you could for the glory of God, what would it be? I think I, I think I said, if you could do anything for the glory of God and it would not fail, you knew it would not fail, what would it be? I don't even have an answer to the question. I think my answer is being here. That's that's my best answer. But does anybody have anybody meditate on that you know, over the last couple of days? If I could do anything for the glory of God, what would it be? Outside of here, it's it's to share my... I don't know. I am sharing my faith with my family, but I guess it, it would be to, to see my family, for me to do whatever else I can do to, to, to glorify God, to show my family that Jesus is Lord. I don't know what that is that I can do, but yeah. And I think we're all we all are achieving that daily. That I mean, if we're truthful, that we that's one of the prayers every day before we keep at the floor. It's God, if you give me something today to witness to, let me be the witness I need to be. Mm-hmm. The ultimate is, I think uh, you said that, is uh, witness, witnessing to your family. Because that's one of the hardest, uh, I think, places to witness or is, is your own family or, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, your closest to. And, you know, so it, you know, it, took, it, took, it took a while for 
this witness is to take place in our family. And uh, I've got to see it. You know, and, and the roots of, or the, the, I guess, doing that over the years and how we should do it, that's very important too. But you just can't beat it in. You just cannot beat it in. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard. But the fruits of your labor make it, and hopefully, you know, God feels that way about it too. It's, uh, it's very, very satisfying when it comes to fruition. I agree. Any other thoughts? Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Paul gives a charge to the men to be fervent in prayer, lifting holy hands. And this, this thought of lifting holy hands made me think, do we consider our own posture when we pray? Um, not only our, our physical posture, but our emotional posture. Like, am I angry? Am I bitter? Do I have bitterness towards this person that I'm praying for? Do I have, you know? And then, and then the lifting of holy hands. This, this uh, commentary, I just skimmed it right before you all got here, but it said. The holy hand sort of represents, in his opinion, that the prayer should be coming from uh, the confession of a believer, and actually, or, or, or a, a believer that has repented of their sin. Let me see. I have I made a note for myself to read this. Let's see. Where is it? He says, "I do not mean to be irreverent, but I sometimes think that the Lord must." must yawn during our prayer meetings because they are so boresome. <laughs> prayer should be made in our public services by those who have their sins confessed, who come without bitterness in their hearts, and who come in faith, believing that God will hear and answer. It is this kind of prayer that will make a prayer meeting what it ought to be. I thought that was pretty interesting. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Your, your posture, your, your posture of prayer? Whether it be physical or emotional, maybe we ought to all lift our hands as we pray tonight. It says, "I'm Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Good eye. <laughs> I'm gonna get to the women in a second. And that's when it's real. That's when everything's gonna catch on fire. <laughs> Okay, verse 9 says, Likewise, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. So Paul charges the women to be modest. He's saying here that women shouldn't flaunt their wealth or status and their aim should not be seduction. This does not mean that women can't braid their hair or wear jewelry. It simply means that they should operate out of modesty and humility towards the Lord and towards everyone else. Um, I wrote that these problems 
these are problems today with men and women in America. Many people desire the newest cars, the nicest house, the finest clothes, etc., etc. We we should dress and act and purchase items that best reflect our Christianity. And this is what is Paul. This is what Paul's saying here. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? We all we all feel that women should be modest and men should be without anger or bitterness. I think we can all agree on these things. You got to remember where the period of time that this was growing too, because there was all kinds of prostitutes, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there were several churches or synagogues or whatever you want to call them. They had statues and everything else. So. I just wonder if how many churches would be um, viable if, if women weren't participants, if women weren't Sunday school teachers, if women weren't. I mean, this is saying that women shouldn't do anything like that, that they should be quiet. Well, the the notes say that it only refer, it's only really referring to teaching men. It's women are still. Fine to teach Sunday school. They should take this literally. It just doesn't say that. Yeah, I'll get to. Let me read the note on. Uh, I think it's twelve. Uh, hang on. It says. Uh, let's wait till we get to verse twelve because we're still not done with the women bashing. Hang on a second. <laughs> Sorry, I told you. Blood pressure is going to go up. Okay, verse 10. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I don't know why I didn't uh, add that into the... No. So he's saying, put put away all the nonsense of the world and live godly lives doing good works for the kingdom. Uh, remember, faith without works is dead, but works don't save us. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from ourselves. It is a gift from God. So, verses 11 and 12. Let a woman... Uh, hang on, everybody. Just take, Everybody take a deep breath. Now breathe out. All right, are we ready? Let's see. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So... Um, did I not read the next one? Let me go ahead with 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So, this this is a contextual matter, first off. So, like Bob said, at the time, uh, there were all kinds of women doing crazy things. And the notes in this... Let me find it. The notes in this commentary were really good about it. It said, um, I lost it. I didn't mark it. Okay. These verses have to do with learning and the teaching of doctrine. Keep in mind that women that the women led in the mystery religions of Paul's day and they were sex orgies. Paul is cautioning women not to speak publicly with the idea of making an appeal on the basis of sex. Paul strictly forbade women to speak in tongues in 1 Corinthians. So it is contextual, but um, women 
still Baptists everywhere would agree that women don't need to be primary teachers in within the church to men, but to in the pool. Right, right. I don't think it's referring to modern day the Sunday school teachers and the Bible school teachers for children. Um, and I think we all know that women have their place and men should be the outspoken according to all scripture books the time. Um, not that we should be ran over or taken advantage of or any of that stuff either, but we stood we still need to remember that the the man was the head of the household. Here's the note from that I was talking about earlier for verse twelve. In this context, two things are prohibited. Women are not permitted to publicly teach scripture and or Christian doctrine to men in the church. The context implies these topics. And women are not permitted to exercise authority over men in church. Women teaching other women and women teaching children are not mentioned here, and both are encouraged elsewhere in 2 Timothy 1.5 and Titus 2.4. This passage also does not address the role of women in leadership situations outside the church. Um... So it's not saying that women can't teach children and such. They can't preach. Right. Yeah. Recently, yeah. I'm sure Charles could give us all kinds of information about that. What did they do? They got rid of, there were two or three, two for sure churches that just got booted from the convention, right? Yeah, there was at least, there was two, um, like I say, in. Uh, well, one here in Kentucky, Burke uh, Creek Baptist Church, and then also uh, Saddleback Church in Mission Diego, California. Those two uh, have been the executive committee had uh, said that they were not friendly cooperation, and the convention affirmed that. The messengers affirmed the decision of the committee. But He actually he he has notes in here about this about that exactly. I'm not gonna read it, but he said, Look, ladies, take care of yourselves, basically. <laughs> I think, and this is just my opinion, this is the job I work in. I think the main point is that men cannot surpass their authority and let women take over. I mean, we, I've seen so many fatherless babies, or we know fathers that are not going to step up to the plate with these young children. And they can't, they're, we have such a generation of men not taking charge. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's bad. Yeah. 
their families and be responsible. They're the ones that are going to be responsible for the end, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we step up and teach our children, it's still the father that's going to be held more responsible. Well, the problem with that, it's not a problem. It is a problem, but marriage is a biblical principle, and most people that get married don't get married on biblical principles. So the husband, they're committing to all these things. Like, hey, I'm, I'll stay with you forever for at least a month, you know, and then they're out, and they're just not. And they're just not involved at all. No. Yeah. So. And that's sad. You know, I think it's going to quite work wherever it acts, you know, but the family is such bad shape. I went to a, a wedding, um, shoot, again, I did not grow up in church. I grew up in Catholic church, left the church, did not grow up around faithful Christians. I went just recently to a wedding shower for two people. And to my, as I reflected back on that, it was the first wedding shower that I've ever been to where both people were professing Christians ever in my life. That's terrifying. I guess really he's addressing Christians here, right? Yeah. Not morally. Right. It's a charge to, it, yes, it's. Charge to the church? Yes, yes. Let's see. If the men would do what they're supposed to be, there wouldn't be a void for the women to fit. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something Christian and not just worldly you know, people. When you go further in Timothy, he looks at Timothy and he says that a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Mm -hmm. I'm reading notes. <laughs> I've gotten into deep and dark waters tonight. <laughs> That's all right, though. But I think the point is there that it is. This is a letter to the church, trying to teach them the way they should be, not the way some of them were running right then. His note on on thirteen, or this note in in my Bible says. Gender roles in the church are not simply the result of the fall. They are rooted in creation and apply to all cultures at all times. Some interpreters argue that the prohibition of verse 12 does not apply today because one, the reason for Paul's command was that women were teaching false doctrine in Ephesus, or two, Paul said this because women in that culture were not educated enough to teach. But the only false teachers named in connection with Ephesus are men. I don't really know what that period is. I shouldn't have read that. I'm sorry. Let's move on. They Where did I leave off? The most confusing uh, verse of all is the last verse. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And I don't know what to do with that other than read the note. The precise meaning of this verse is not immediately clear. Paul certainly does not believe people can be saved in the sense of earning justification through childbearing or any other means besides grace. 
But the New Testament sometimes uses the term saved in the sense of coming to experience all aspects of salvation over time. It can also mean the perseverance and faith necessary for eternal salvation. People are saved as they persevere in the faith through the circumstances of their lives. For instance, a mother can act faithfully as she nurtures her child from birth to adulthood. So, in conclusion, Paul is telling Tim- for chapter 2, Paul is telling Timothy that the church needs to be run with order and there is a way to do things and there is a way not to do things. Men are to be prayerful and not angry. They are to live peaceful, godly, quiet, and dignified lives. Women within the church should be modest and submissive. There is one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ. Nothing else can or needs to come between the two. If you have needs, pray to Jesus. If you need to confess sin, confess to Jesus and to the person that you sinned against. Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, and this is why Paul has dedicated his life to faithful gospel ministry. We should pay attention to our posture posture when praying, which includes our emotional posture and our physical posture. Are there any questions about anything that we have discussed? I hope some of that was clear. I hated to address this women's stuff so soon to scare people away. But you know the old saying on your prayer, oh, don't sit in a locking chair, get up and help them to come about. I mean, you can pray for somebody, but if you don't go witness to it, your prayer may or may not. Yeah. You really, I guess, got your heart in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish you'd been a hope you win the lottery, you know. Yeah. Be like the joke of the guy kept buying a lot of playing lottery and playing every night. Lord, I think win the lottery. Went on for years. Finally, one night, Lord said, You got to do your part. You got to buy a ticket. <laughs> So sometimes our prayers is about lacking. Yeah. We don't put feet on our prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if faith comes by hearing, and we have the power to tell people about Jesus, we should let's not leave it up to other people. Let's just do it ourselves. And I am guilty of that at times, not doing it. So. Did any of this make sense? Did any of this not make sense? I just got a little comment regarding uh, the women in childbearing. Uh, her primary ministry is that of childbearing and the rearing of children who will become godly adults and leaders. The key here it gives them the respect they deserve. The hand of us to pray to the the world. So, you know, Way to bring up your children to the next leaders. If you're a good godly woman, do it like God wants you to. Mm-hmm. We have to block the impact. Yeah, and it's kind of like the design of the family in God's eyes are husband, wife, children, and, and his charge is husband be the primary discipler of the family mother be the nurturer it's like we have these roles but in the world we just want to throw all that stuff out we you know the husband leaves and most likely finds another woman that's more fun for a couple days or whatever 
and the woman's stuck at home for some reason, the woman gets stuck with the children all the time. And it's that's not God's design, but that's what we see. I mean, it's it's just like wildfire here. I mean, I can think of I can think of so many women that are raising children, and the the dads just go on and have more children, keep keep doing the same thing. I'm like, it stresses me out just thinking about it. <laughs> Even more so than us, the grandparents are raising. Yeah. No parents yeah. involved at all. Mm-hmm. That's awful. So next week we'll be in chapter three of First uh, Timothy, and I've I have. I apologize. I'm probably a little ill ill prepared tonight as I've been traveling back and forth and loading furniture and trying to uh, continue to raise my children myself. Not by myself, but living in two different counties is not easy. So I apologize for if I seemed all over the place tonight. But 